Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. I am recording to the cloud. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm excited, guys. It is sales time, boys and girls. It is time to release the Kraken because I am literally about to go to school here and talking to one of the most experienced sales leaders. And he's not only a sales leader, he's a leader of sales leaders. How much crazier can you get? I'm not even sure why he's talking to me, but I'm so glad he is. And what does he do? He helps growth-minded people, founders, owners, CEOs, teams that want to grow into creating repeatable and effective sales processes. I mean, I sound like I'm his front man. Maybe I should be. But either way, he's absolutely fantastic. He's an entrepreneur, a sales leader, a thought leader, a closer, a true partnership creator. He's had Channel of the Year awards, co-founder, managing partner at Vendux. Henning Schwinnem, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for your kind words. I can't believe you're here, but I'm glad you are. And I want to learn from you right away. So I'm going to pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I get the feeling that you're tough. I get the feeling that you you probably chopped lumber this morning with a Paul Bunyan axe. So here, here. Uh, okay. All right. Go ahead. Grab that. Can you grab that? Thor's hammer. You got it? Okay. Uh, yes, I go. got it. Look at you swinging that thing around. You've been You've been a superhero before. <laughs> You've been holding out on us. Henning, take from me Thor's hammer and smash some kind of marketing myth, sales myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. Absolutely. It is a sales myth. And the myth is that everyone in sales is paid on commission only. Statistics tell us it's only 20% of sales reps that are paid on the basis of commission only. And here's some food for thought. What if it were 100%? How about the rest of the company? Why don't we pay everybody on a commission-only basis? Engineers, programmers, accountants, marketeers, everyone should be treated the same. And so this is, this is not happening, or it is happening, and why? Well, it's not happening because everyone else is afraid um, of the variability of their income and right. they like the steadiness. But from a sales perspective, um, let me just go back to the statistic 20% are commission only, 30% are fixed only, fixed income, like everybody else. 50% have a combination of a fixed base and then some variable component. Are you saying there's 20% of sales reps out there that? Don't get any commission whatsoever. Thirty percent don't 30%. get any commission on a fixed income. How do they even sell anything? How do how do they stay motivated? Well, how does a programmer or an engineer or a marketeer how do they stay um, motivated? Right, it's the same thing. Um, payment, so pay and income is only one part of that whole motivational um, uh, approach. And if you can motivate other individuals in the company uh, to do their job right and well, you can do the same with salespeople. You don't have to sort of 
have the whip in hand or the Thor's hammer in hand and say it has to be all variable. Interesting. Now there are there are parts where variable makes sense, right? Where it, where um, you know paying commission only makes sense. Think sales where it's a short sales cycle, where it's more of a transactional sale, where there is a proven track record that you know that this works and it works consistently. Um, but really, mo most importantly, the question to me is: Is the salesperson only there? to close and to sell? Or do they have a more lasting impact for the business? Does the sales interaction build mm. brand recognition? Uh, does it have an element of business development? Does it include forging partnerships? Um, if all of these components are there, they need to be rewarded as well. well I love that. I love that. Um, how how do you make the call? How do you make the call? Which one it should be? Well, you look at the you look at the elements, um, the the length of the sales cycle, for example. Sales cycle. Right. Um, if so, you right. yeah, if you have like in uh, in in the enterprise sales segment, larger larger ticket items, you have a twelve or eighteen month sales cycle. I mean, do you seriously expect somebody to work for free for twelve months? <laughs> Uh, on the vague promise that maybe down the road um, there is maybe. a sale, then the, the question of a track record, right? Am I the very first salesperson this this startup hires um, and the founder has, has barely sold it a few times, but now you're putting me on the hook? Um, or is it a, a situation where you sell insurance over the phone. I mean, there have been millions of insurance salespeople before me. The company has a proven process, messaging, a track record that they can share. So those are the things that I would look at um, and then make a determination of what makes sense, because that's really the question. It's not a one size fits all. Not a one size fits all makes total sense. And I also heard you say proven process. I said proven process in your introduction. So how do I humble lowly me with a company go from whatever sales cloud I have into a repeatable and efficient sales process? I think that's the, uh, the million dollar question. It is the million dollar question. Starts who starts a business. And uh, most businesses are founded not by individuals who have been in sales and who've built sales organizations, but by engineers or doctors or lawyers or people with other professional backgrounds. And they are phenomenal. They have brilliant product ideas. Um, and then when it comes to selling, they are often the first salesperson for their business. Right. The, what, we, the, what they need to look at, though, is who are they selling to and how are they selling? So they're selling as the founder of the business, which puts them in an elevated position to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and they're selling often to friends and family. Um, or I label it friends and family, people they've known before right out of their network they're not starting out by cold calling 
know they're starting out within their network. And then they're often selling it um, as a pilot, as a, you know, as a, at an introductory price. Um, totally. None of that represents a, a repeatable process. <laughs> so to your question of how do you get from there to having a sales machine humming, um, I am opinionated about it. My answer to that question is you get somebody that has done that before. Someone who's mm. built a sales engine for a similar product in a similar industry on a similar sales cycle, looking for similar deals um, before. And there are people out there, uh, plenty of people out there who've done that before. That's who you want as a founder, in my opinion, on your team to uh, build out sales into a repeatable process. Got it. It's a, it's a who, not how, right? It, it's a who is the person, the experienced person who's already done this before. I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm working with someone who has, and, and I'm leveraging their, their information, man, you are like a philosopher slash psychic because everything you're describing sounds very familiar. The idea of selling little pilots and introductory prices and things keep growing. And eventually it's like, we got to get organized here. What would you say is the core ingredient of a sales process? Well, I, I always struggle with identifying, you know, one thing out of a lot of different pieces. I know, right? It's like asking Elon <laughs> Musk how to build a rocket. What's the core thing? Well, in the process? I think the core thing for him is he's not building it, but he has <laughs> the money and finds the right people to do it. True. I think that's, that's the difference to most uh, entrepreneurs who start today, they are build, literally building their product um, and then then building a company around it and a business sure. around it. Um, so in in if, if there is one thing, it's probably the fact that it needs to be a documented process, um, that it's not something that just exists in somebody's head. Um, but you actually write it down, make it part of your sales playbook. And it's literally a written document that you can then put in the hands of every new hire that you bring on board. And they, they follow the exact same process. Mm. Um, and, and that's how you can create, that's how you can actually measure success. Because, because if you have the first one, you know, let's say they sell, uh, you know, 10 deals a month. Um, maybe your goal was in your in your wildest dreams that one person can sell 100, but they only sell 10. But you really don't have anything to judge that performance against. But now you hire the second one who mm. follows the exact same process. And all of a sudden they close 50 deals. Ah, now like you that. can now you can compare and and you can say, yep, you know, both both these reps do the exact same thing, use the same messaging, um, go through the same stages, uh, do the same follow-ups, but one is five times better than the other. And then now you, now you can measure and now you can improve. Mm. Uh, it because makes total you can sense. only improve what you can measure, right? Yes, 100%. How does one go from, and by the way, it makes total sense that the number one thing would be a written shared with all, you know, shared and followed by all type um, documentation. How do you go from that amorphous early pilot type thing where maybe you have a founder 
selling and it's not very, very processized, right? It's like one call, maybe it's two calls, but it's not very formal. How do you go from that into, well, we have two calls and the first call talks about this and the second, like, do you, do you recommend a certain number of calls? How do you go from like, how do you put structure to something that someone was like winging in the first place? Well, I said earlier, you bring in somebody who's done that bring before. Um, and that person will know exactly how many calls to make and what the process should look like. Um, this is because there isn't a one size fits all. I mean, it's driven by, um, you know, who are you targeting? What are you selling? What type of deals do you want to achieve at the end? Where do your leads come from that you begin with in the in the process? Um, all of those and many other elements influence what that ultimate process looks like. Now, there are um, sort of common elements, especially when you look at B2B type selling. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at um, you know, long sales processes, higher value goods. There is a lot of commonality between them, um, like there is for the the one call closes or two call closes, more transactional sales. Mm -hmm. um, and and those are blueprints that uh, that you can use. But I think above all, um, bring in someone who's um, who's done this before. Now I'm, now I'm tooting my own horn, which is bring, you don't have to hire somebody mm. full-time to do that. It's not a full-time job. Um, and you don't need to pay a full-time VP of sales salary, you know, anywhere between 150 and $500,000 on target earnings a year, depending right? on location. And, and that's the, that's, that's a big ticket item. But if you're starting out, you don't need to pay that. Just contract someone fractionally, part-time, someone who's done this before, and, and they'll set this up for you. They'll lead the initial efforts. They'll help you grow. And at some point, they will replace themselves with a full-time sales leader. Gotcha. Love this. Talk to me about, I have, I have definitely heard of the fractional CMO. I've been a fractional CMO. Talk to me about a fractional head of sales. What it's, it's not full-time What is it like? What are the responsibilities? What kind of companies would be perfect for it? Well, I, I love the, the fact that you know the fractional CMO that you've oh, been yeah. a fractional CMO yeah. because I think yeah. these, these overriding elements for fractional executives apply in both on in both roles and really in all in all those fractional executive mm -hmm. roles uh, and functions, and it's the the idea of or the question of how much of that resource do you need? Do you need that that skill set full time? And in smaller businesses, for both the CMO and the the sales leader, the answer is no, you don't, because what happens to the CMO? when he gets engaged in a small business, um, the CMO is also the, the, the general, uh, the marketing generalist who executes the campaigns, who writes the copy, who runs Google AdWords. Um, and in sales, you then end up with the player coach model where you have somebody designing 
and thinking through strategically your sales process and your sales playbook. And then they're also on the road or on the phone executing that process. And those are never good roles to have um, because as humans, we're not really good at doing a lot of different things. We're often good at one thing. And, you know, that's the thing you want to hire somebody for or contract somebody for. And fractionalizing our workforce is the way to make sure that you always, for every function, have a specialist. In, in startups, it traditionally have, you know, took pride in the fact that everyone on the initial team had to do everything. Um, but you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to have um, a COO who is also the CFO, the accountant, the HR department, and the office manager. You don't need that. You can mm -hmm. contract that function out. It's You're basically investing the same money, but you get a specialist for each of those functions. There's something to having experts in the functions, right? Earlier, you talked about, you know, it's who, not how. And then, you know, having started just scratching the surface of the fractional world, it's like, why would we ever do anything but that, right? Get the people that know, certainly you don't want me as a CFO for sure, um, but get the people who not only do they excel in something, but they have a passion for it, get them. And it's, it's so much easier than for someone who's already done it to then to your point, oh yeah, let's create a sales process, no big deal. Whereas it'd be such a heavy lift for someone who's, it's not their specialty. Yeah, and they- in historically that the 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 COO who had all these other functions as well uh, would then you know read up um, and try to educate himself, you know, stay on top of HR guidelines so that they you know didn't put the company into jeopardy. Uh, but that is that's a crutch. Maybe it's even less than a crutch. It's a it's a Band-Aid um, that can easily be ripped off by going the fractional route and the contractor right. route and getting specialists in for every, every one of your functions. Mm. Now, especially in the startup world, startup founders take pride in this fact, in the fact that, you know, everybody does everything. They take pride in the culture that they're trying to create within their company um, and there, there, there is a sense that if you wholly own an employee in your business, that you have more control over them and that they are more engaged. But these to me are myths as well, mm. because if you, if, you, uh, if you look at the statistics of, um, you know, how long does a of a VP of sales stay in a startup, it's anywhere between 12 and 18 months. And th there are a couple of factors to that. One, one is that it's simply a bad hire by a founder or CEO that hasn't dealt with sales leaders before. It's also the, a result of the, the vagueness that they get hired into. Um, and if you're if you're hiring somebody for 12 months, you may as well um, contract them and then contract them part time for as much um, of their time as you need. 
Love that. Um, and that is a perfect tie-in to the question. How do I find the right one? If, if I could simply hire the wrong sales VP and he's gone in so many months, I could simply hire the wrong fractional C C um, head of sales. So what do you recommend? How do you, and I know you, you have curated just so many fractional leaders in this space. How do you help me find the right one? And what should I be looking for and in, in interviewing for? Um, that's a great question. And I, I'll try to be careful not to just toot my own horn here, because as you said, I, my business is to help founders and owners and CEOs find the right fractional sales leader. Um, but there, there are good steps to take and, and they, they align with, with good practices in general uh, around hiring as well, which is create um, start out with a scope, you know, understand and document what you want this person to accomplish. Um, not the, the unicorn vision five years down the road when you're selling your business for, for millions of dollars, but the exact steps that need to be taken in sales um, in the next three or six or nine months. This, this very precise scope of what you want this person to accomplish. Um, and, and describe that in as much detail as you can. And then you look for someone who has done that before. Not the person who says, I'm a, I'm a SaaS VP of sales. There are a lot of those out there. But the person who has sold SaaS into similar decision makers around, you know, has done similar deal sizes and mm -hmm. deal structures, has worked a similar length of sales cycle, has experience in doing and building this from scratch, as opposed to stepping in at $5 million and growing it to 15. So that's, in my opinion, what you want to look for, and absolutely look beyond any in uh, any culture fit personality trait uh, kind of things, because what you're hiring is the skill to get certain things done. You're not, um, and, and you're contracting the person for that specific purpose. Um, now, if, if, if there is a, a total misfit in personalities between you and the person, mm -hmm. you know, then obviously you, you don't want to work with someone like that, but don't, um, don't make that the first hiring criteria and the, the, the dominant hiring criteria. Look for the skills because you're not hiring someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with or the rest of your career in this company with. You're looking for someone to achieve very specific tasks. Um, and, 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 and I think that will cut down considerably on all the, the hiring mistakes or contracting mistakes. Big takeaway I got from, from you just now was the, was vetting for the experience. And you've said it a few times, but it took seven times for me to go to my brain. Um, it's the experience that they have, not necessarily that they can speak to it because I know I can make up things. And if you're in sales, you definitely can make up things. So 
to your point, someone has, let's say I'm doing professional services and, you know, B2B podcasts and someone's like, I'm a SaaS guy, but you know what? I can envision what would happen. Cool, but not nearly as good as what you're suggesting, which is, that's nice. But I, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find someone who's already done that before. So it's not even, it's not what do you imagine might work, which means you have just as much experience in that as I do. Um, sure. Maybe better sales experience, but you don't know versus the person who tells you this is what I did. Um, so, man, what a great point of just zeroing on that the right the right path that they've already done. Just have them repeat that process. Yeah, and you might be able to relate to this as a CMO with considerable experience. You because I say this about myself, I spend 25 years leading sales teams in different companies, different products, different geographies. But the question is really, um, so I can picture myself into just about any sales leadership position and I, <laughs> totally. I think I'll figure it out and I'll totally. be successful. But if you're a business owner, a founder, a CEO, do you really want to pay somebody to go through that learning figure curve? it out? Isn't it a whole lot better if you get somebody who has done exactly what you're looking to accomplish before? You know, it's it's so true. And do you know uh, Casey Stanton? Have you have you met him? No, I have not met. I him. feel like you two need to meet because he is he is the you of CMOs, right? And and I, I love I can connect you offline. He's he's okay. fantastic. And he was coaching me on my CMO practice, and I actually went and picked that I, I only do fractional CMO work with professional service companies. He's like, yeah, I know yeah. you could, you could go be B to C tomorrow. Or you could do SAS, but the sheer mental yeah. brain power also for me of switching back and forth is just a tremendous burden. So it's better for the pro and better for the company. If you stick to the thing that you have literal experience in. So I, man, what a great point. Um, that I should focus on when I go and look for that fractional um, head of sales. And it's, it's uh, great advice for anyone going into the fractional world uh, in whatever capacity to not put themselves out there as the generalist who can do anything, but find your niche, find the things you've done before that you're good at and that you want to do going forward. Um, because that's another aspect of, of being a fractional executive. You can have a choice of what you want to do. You, you, and you only want to do the things that you are passionate about. And, and, and so that to position yourself as a fractional executive that way um, is absolutely best practice. Love it. Absolutely love it. My next question really is, who are you? <laughs> Take me back in time. Little Henning days, did you know you were going to be a sales leader? Were you walking around the neighborhood selling things as a kid? Tell me about little you. No, I did not uh, grow up in sales. My dad is a PhD chemist wow. who spent his entire career in one company. And my uh, my mother uh, is a school teacher or was a school teacher. And um, so sales definitely wasn't in DNA. <laughs> and I really didn't take um, my first sales role until I was in my early 30s. Um, really? My first sales job, in fact, was back in 1997, selling iron oxide pigments into the construction industry. 
Every time wow. you have a paver or a roof tile or a sound wall made out of concrete, that is colored by iron oxide pigment, yellowish, reddish, dark, blackish, brownish colors. Um, and so that was my first uh, sales job. Um, and uh, But it, it took me until I was in my early 30s uh, to get into that role. And I the, the, the bug caught me uh, because I've been leading sales teams ever since. Ever since. Interesting. So, so the younger you then, what, what were you fascinated by then before you found sales? The younger me wanted to be um, a captain on a uh, commercial cargo ship. Really? Um, traveling the world. That was the younger me. Yes. Did you, did you go to like Mariner school and all those kind of things? No, um, growing up, um, I learned to sail from my dad. Um, and I went through, um, you know, different classes, uh, you know, navigation and all of those, uh, all of those things that so that I could uh, charter uh, seagoing uh, sailboats, uh, but I never progressed past uh, a 40 foot sailboat, uh, nothing larger ever transpired for me. <laughs> how, how what kind of trips have you, have you taken have you done some some far ones have you ever thought of crossing one of the oceans um i've thought about it never done it um i've sailed um um uh, so i grew up in europe so uh i did the mediterranean the baltic the north cool. sea um so those those oceans uh or or uh, bodies of water um, I sailed a little bit off the uh, coast of North Carolina. Okay. Um, and then I did lake sailing, um, uh, places like Lake Tahoe um, or, or lakes in the middle of Kansas. Uh, those were uh, uh, areas where I've sailed, but I've never crossed an ocean on a sailboat. Huh. Bucket list item. I was going to say, is it on the bucket list? Is it on the list? <laughs> yes. Because you'll, you'll have to create a YouTube channel and record the entire path. Some of my favorite videos <laughs> on YouTube are of these crazy kids and random people that are like, I got a sailboat. I'm going to cross this ocean all by myself. And I don't have everyone to talk to. So I'm going to talk to you on the camera. And it's, yeah. it's so peaceful until it's not, until everything's moving around, you know? Yeah. Until crazy. something breaks and everything falls apart. And uh, if they're, if, I mean, it, it's the ultimate relationship test. Can you survive um, living together on uh, 35, 40 feet of room uh, for an extended period of time? Yeah, I bet. I bet that's the test. I don't I don't know anyone that would pass it if they're hanging out with me. They're like that Casey guy. I'm going to swim to shore from here. Let's go. Um, Maybe you well, and I should try to see how, how we long we can uh, we can stand each other. I'm totally before down. Before one of us jumps jumps overboard i'm totally down i'll i yeah i'm, I'm in sign me up yeah totally do it I, let me like casey raise the sail i i skipper i i got this <laughs> i will totally do that um very cool well, i have a hypothetical question for you see i may or may not have a time machine here in new hampshire and let's say you come visit, we get some lobster, some beer, and you get a chance to use the time machine. And it goes back in time and you get to actually, it's very specific. You get to meet yourself a few days after graduating from college 
and you get to talk to yourself around that time. And you can say anything you want. What would you say to yourself at that time? That version of me entering the, the work world, um, I would probably say um, to myself that I sh- to make decisions faster and sooner and don't weigh pros and cons as long as I did in my career so far. Um, also, I know what it is that you, that I want and ask for it. Um, don't just accept the status quo. I think the younger me was a lot more accepting of the things that were happening around me. Um, and with that, you know, I was looking at that and weighing, you know, should I make a change, career change, um, I, any other change, any other move, any other decision that you're making. Um, and I would have, uh, especially on the career side, probably have done more uh, career moves and more career changes um, than I ended up doing because I, mm. I waited decisions for for a long time. Yeah, uh, that's probably. I think that's a <laughs> that would be great advice to give myself. And uh, now I might not I might not have been, might not be sitting here with you if if I had given <laughs> my if I had the chance to give myself that advice. Um, but uh, but uh, I think that's a good one. I love it. It's powerful. It's so powerful. Where can people reach out? They want to connect with you. They think that their organization should look into a fractional sales leader. What are the sites? What are the URLs, connections, all that? Yeah. Well, the the easiest way is to just go to our website, Vendux. The spelling is right at the bottom of my uh, of my uh, video screen here. V e n d u x. Um, and it's vendux.org.org. Um, and just in case you're wondering, what does Vendux stand for? Um, Venditio is Latin for sales and Dux is Latin for leadership. So it's sales, leadership in Latin is Vendux um, and vendux.org is the website. And then there is an easy way to connect with me. Um, but you can also uh, take the challenge of typing my name into LinkedIn. There is only one Henning Schwinom on LinkedIn. This isn't like uh, John Meyer um, uh, or John Smith, of which there are plenty. Uh, I'm the only one. Uh, but then the spelling, obviously, is a little bit of a challenge. Heck yeah, man. Henning, thank you so much for being on here. I, I mean, I've just fascinated learning from the sales side, I think so often marketing forgets that we are partners in crime. We're on a sailboat with our sales brothers and sisters and to learn from you today was just been fantastic. So thank you so much. Thank you, Casey, for having me. It was a blast. Uh, We'll do it again, maybe on a sailboat. Hell yeah. Next podcast on a sailboat. You and me, let's go. If, you, if you're listening to this and you learned something, and I know you did because I literally have notes front and back over here, then share this episode with someone else. Be a thought leader to nine people, 3,000 people, 8 million people, whatever the number, 
getting good information in other people's hands. That's thought leadership. Be that person. Um, reach out to Henning, get yourself a fractional sales leader. If you don't have one and sell a shit ton of everything and be super successful the way it should be. Henning, thank you again, sir. Absolutely. Take care. Bye, Casey. All right, everyone. This has been what a cool episode. What a cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.